Matthew chapter 6, page 1504 in the Bench Bibles, where we'll begin the reading at verse 5 and continue on through verse 13. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because there are many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And the next three words are our text. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Here ends our scripture reading. These the very words of God. Your kingdom come. We probably should note that our text really starts with a silent you, because Jesus said, when you pray to Christians. So the you is God's people, though it'd be nice if everybody would pray this prayer and mean it. Now why? Should we pray, your kingdom come? Listen to a couple of reasons. One is a quotation from a Frenchman, Alexis de Tocqueville, who said it in 1831, and he wrote a terrifically insightful book. He visited the US, went back to France, and wrote one of the most profound books I've ever read. Here's what he said. I sought for the greatness of the United States in her commodious harbors, her ample rivers, her fertile fields, and boundless forests, and it was not there. I sought for it in her rich mines, her vast world commerce, her public school system, and in her institutions of higher learning, and it was not there. I looked for it in her democratic congress and her matchless constitution, and it was not there. Not until I went into the churches of America and heard her pulpits aflame with righteousness did I understand the secret of her genius and power. America is great because America is good, and if America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great, end quotations. That's why you should pray, your kingdom come. And I might add 
there's an old Latin saying, ora et labora, which means pray and work. The prayer, your kingdom comes, includes living it in your talk and your walk. That's what de Tocqueville said made America great. One more quotation. If we don't pray and work, your kingdom come. Listen to what a German pastor, Martin Niemöller, said about Germany, where almost all the Christians ignored Nazism. Here's what Niemöller wrote. Once the Nazis came for Martin Niemöller. Why, I ask. Niemöller wrote, First they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak for me. End quote. We pray your kingdom come and live accordingly because God's people are needed to pray for God's kingdom to come in this nation of ours. Your kingdom come. The kingdom of God, we perhaps should define briefly, the kingdom of God is the rule of God that begins in the hearts of God's people. Underline that word begins because it doesn't end there. Begins in the hearts of God's people, extends out into their lives as they live their Christian life, and then from God's people's hearts and lives, extends out to their communities and to their nations in any way, shape, or form, they can exercise their influence in God's name. That's the kingdom of God. Now, we are to pray, your kingdom come. Kingdom, you understand now. Come, we also have to understand. Maybe the first thing to say is that God is always right, not necessarily a majority. When Israel sent out the 12 spies, 10 were wrong and 2 were right because they were on God's side, the 2. And in this United States, too, God is always right, and you who are on God's side, to the extent you're godly, are right. And so we pray, your kingdom come. Now, a couple of quick negatives, how not to pray the prayer. I don't like to always dwell on negatives, just to quickly go through them. When we pray, your kingdom come, we're not praying, hurry up, Jesus, with the second coming. You don't have to pray for that. That's God's business. And we are not praying your kingdom come only about 
ourselves, in particular our hearts, and within the walls of our church. God's kingdom is far more than something in our hearts and church. Indeed, God is the king of the world, the great king, and his kingdom extends worldwide and should be the basis for the laws of every land, if those lands want to succeed. One more thing. When we pray, your kingdom come, we are not dispensationalists, and that word may not be familiar to some or all of you even. We are not avoiding praying for our nations because our only concern is to become Christians and await the rapture which can come any day. J. Vernon McGee, a dispensationalist, put it this way, you don't polish brass on sinking ships. We don't take the attitude the nation is sinking, we'll be raptured out of it. When God takes us out of this world, fine, that's his business. Meanwhile, we pray your kingdom come about our nations. End of the negatives. Now, in the United States history, in fact, going back to the reformers, there are a few things to be aware of, and I'll be briefly repetitious here. In the 1600s, the reformers said, and I'm convinced they were right, that there was a threefold use of God's law, including that civil use. What we need to understand so clearly is that God is always right. God, even if he's a minority of only one, is right. And it doesn't matter what five of the nine Supreme Court justices might say if they contradict God. They can make laws of the land based on their feelings, but God is still right no matter what anyone says, whether he be in the president's office, senator representative, or on the Supreme Court. You simply have to understand that. God's Ten Commandments really is his whole law, but let's limit it to his Ten Commandments, should be, I'm saying this again, but I'm going to say it, should be the basic for the laws of any land, should be the base, the foundation, the model, the light, the guide for the laws of a land. Now, that's what the Reformers meant by a civil use of the law. They said that in the 1500s. Move forward to the 1600s a minute. A Puritan minister, William Davenport, said this, and I quote again, we have been dispatched by God and by history on an errand into the wilderness to create on this land, a city on a hill, a light in the wilderness to all around, end quote. Why would Davenport say something like that, and why would I think he's right and quoted in church? Because the Bible says the following, Matthew 5, 13, to God's people, you are the salt of the earth, 
But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Salt has been called the second most incredible element on earth, behind only water. Salt is, of course, abundant, has been used in history, actually, as gifts, covenants. The Bible speaks of a covenant of salt, also as money from time to time. It's so valuable. But here's what salt does. It's an antiseptic that kills bacteria. Also melts snow, by the way, as you know. We, God's people, are to be salt in that we are to oppose evil. Salt also is attractive. We, God's people, are not called to be people-pleasers, but God-pleasers, but to be God-pleasers in the most attractive way we can to the people in our nation. Salt also makes alive and keeps alive. If you don't have salt in your body, you will die. We Christians are salt in our nation in that, as God's people, we represent what is necessary to keep the nation alive. Salt. Salt does other good things. Salt has been used for medicine in the past. It keeps alive, it preserves. Salt also flavors. We are to be a delightful flavor in our nation. See? You are the salt of the earth in America, too. Now, the quotation I quoted mentions light of the world. You are the light of the world. That's what it also says in Matthew. Light does some wonderful, wonderful things. Light shines in darkness. We God's people are to shine when we see darkness in this land of ours. Lights, you know, light the way ahead. They had foot lamps in Bible times or uh, lantern-like lamps or dishes where they had olive oil on fire to light their way. We, God's people, are to be light, to lead in our nation. I remember reading a story once of someone in Africa walking with their foot lamp, and all of a sudden in front of them was a snake, a poisonous snake. The light kept them from being bitten by poison. Or to be light in this nation of ours, seeing the poison, avoiding it helping others to avoid it. Light exposes evil and shows the way. My dear friends, at this point, I want you to realize how valuable and necessary you are in the United States of Americans, America. Christians do have a role. So that's from the 1600s. In the 1700s, the United States began as a nation, 1776. 
and in 1791, the amendments to the Constitution. Now, I suppose if we were going into depth, we have to have a one hand, other hand thing. Our Constitution, on the one hand, is not the Bible, and some of the Christians who made it up were deists. That means they did not believe Jesus was Savior, and maybe they won't be in heaven. But that's not my point this morning. And there are some English philosophical influences and words in the Constitution, such as inalienable rights. The Bible doesn't say you have the inalienable right to anything except death as a sinner. So, on the one hand, our Constitution is not the Word of God. But on the other hand, the Constitution is highly influenced by the Reformation and especially the Calvinistic Christian tradition. The three branches of government, executive, legislation, legislative, judicial, are modeled after the Trinity. Many good things in that Constitution. The First Amendment was put in there, and that First Amendment is very, very crucial and important. The First Amendment reads, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. That means no denomination is to be the established church like they were used to with the Anglican Church in England. Or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Christians, too, ought to be able to live without being prohibited from exercising their religion, which includes talking about it, walking it, and presenting their points of view in the public square. After the, the First Amendment has been thoroughly, of course, reinterpreted in our time, in the 1800s, from April 22, 1864, Civil War days, Congress made a decision to put on the money, in God we trust. What a testimony to Christian truth. Come the 1900s, some things happened that are less happy. On March 8, 1948, the United States Supreme Court declared that religious education in the public schools were in violation of the First Amendment of the Constitution. That's sad. On June 17, 1963, the United States Supreme Court ruled that states cannot require the recitation of the Lord's Prayer in the public schools. In 1973, the United States Supreme Court legalized abortion. Abortion is murder. When you legalize what God does not legalize, God says you shall not murder. 
you open the floodgates to evil. Hitler may have murdered his six million Jews and Stalin his seven million Ukrainians, but many more children have been aborted in the U.S. and elsewhere than their millions. In the 2000s, we get other things. The big thing is taxation of Christians for programs Christians oppose with what is called, I forget the name of it here, it's commonly called Obamacare. Christians had to pay, Christian businesses pay for insurance to cover abortions. We do now with Planned Parenthood, we have to pay to cover their abortions. And in 2015, homosexual practice was declared legal by our Supreme Court, where five of the justices supposedly found a new right that nobody had heard of before. The ancient world was filled with it, but, and it was a right there, but I guess they discovered a new right. The sad thing is they didn't take into account that God speaks on the subject of human sexuality and marriage. Now, it's getting a little bit sad, isn't it? One could certainly make a case for decline in our nation, but I want to end with two things that seem to me very positive. The first of those two comes out of California and our Supreme Court in the last week or two threw it out. The state of California saw that there were some counseling agencies that advocated adoption instead of abortion. So they simply passed a law that any adoption agency must recommend abortion, totally opposite to the whole purpose of the agencies that recommended adoption. The Supreme Court threw that one out. Christian rights were upheld. In Colorado, a Christian businessman made cakes for weddings and sold them. Two homosexuals came in to the business and told the owner, we'd like to buy a cake. Fine, I'll sell you any and every cake in the place if you want it. And then the homosexual says, we know you also do artwork and decorations of cakes. We want you to decorate the cake, praising our homosexual union. The owner refused. The state of Colorado said he had to use his artistic skills to praise homosexual practice. This Wednesday, my brother Gord's son, Scott, who works for the government, was in Colorado. 
the Supreme Court had just said that the Christian in Colorado could not be forced to make a cake contrary to his religious beliefs. Lord's son Scott was there in that uh, office, and they were rejoicing together. So we have also the other side. There are two very recent decisions where the rights of Christians have been upheld, and in that I rejoice. But now, my purpose this morning with you is to encourage you to continue to pray, your kingdom come. I believe, and I think you do too, that in many ways we live in the greatest nation on earth and the greatest nation in human history. I praise God for the United States of America. I do not want to come across to you as negative or putting down our country. I sing God bless America with the most lusty of them. I insist on patriotic songs and a patriotic sermon for Independence Day weekend. But there are also the threats. And the threats should cause us to pray, your kingdom come for this United States, the more seriously and the more continuously. God bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with the light from above. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with the light from above. Let's pray. Our Father, how that movie song could say it so well, we may not understand, but it's right on with the light from above. May your kingdom come in this kingdom we call our nation with your light from above. Amen.